Well, good morning. It's good to be with all of you. It's nice to be back up here again. We're all coming out of that moment, aren't we? It's kind of good soak in that moment for a while. I want to share with you this morning that uh, the message that God has laid on my heart to share with you. Um, this is probably generally true of all human beings, but just calling it out this morning. This message is being shared not from somebody who's mastered what I'm about to share, but this is just something that God keeps bringing back again and again and again to me and uh, wanting me to share with others. So, uh, as a quote I've heard many times before, the heart of the one who sent the message may be much truer than the heart of the one who's delivering the message because we're all on the journey together. So understand as we go into that, but to sort of warm us up to where we're going, I want to share with you a number of years ago when our middle child was three, I recall a very specific evening where Allison was away, she was at a retreat, and God was doing some things in her life at that time, which was pretty cool, and I was at home with the kids. And at that time, our middle child had a severe eczema uh, as a reaction to some food allergies that she had. And at three, she couldn't control how she responded to the itch. She would scratch and scratch and scratch. And when she'd go to bed at night, she'd do it in her sleep to the point where she had her arms torn open and bloody and it soaked her sheets. And I remember going downstairs and picking her up, going into the bathroom, trying to clean her up, trying to make sure everything was okay, trying to help her stop crying. And you know, dads, you can, you can identify with this. The automatic things kick in, like, you know, just make sure they're safe and, you know, just make, take care of the sheets, you know, make sure everything, you know, there's not a mess on the floor, you know, there's, everybody's taken care of. But you also know, and moms, I think you can identify with this too, you know when what you're facing in the life of your child is bigger than what you have the power to impact, right? Anybody identify with that? And I remember in that moment, just stopping and saying, God, I need you. And for all the years that I had, had known the Lord up until that point, for all the years that I had been walking with Him, been a pastor at that point, I can say that that is one moment above all others where I remember coming to the end of what I could do and just needing to cry out to God. At that moment, I needed somebody who knew me and knew my child inside and out and could take us where we needed to go because I couldn't see what needed to happen. I knew what the doctors had said. I knew all the, I knew all the tangible things that we needed to be doing, but I couldn't fix it. Anybody here this morning ever hit a point where you just you were in a place where you just needed somebody to know you like that? To be in that moment with you like that. 
to be broken with you. And yet be someone who had the perspective to say this isn't it. This moment will pass. I think if you live long enough, we kind of all get to one of those moments, don't we? Maybe several of them. And sometimes maybe we hope many of them because they're great, great reminders. I'd love to say at that moment that God met me there and just made her eczema go away and she stopped crying and we were all happy and we all just, we got up out of the room and was like, wow, praying a miracle happened and she's great and put her to bed and there was no blood on the sheets anymore and just, phew. And Allison came over and was like, wow, you can't believe the miracle that God did. There was none of that. There was none of that. No, it was, it was just a mess. I was a mess. She was a mess. But I do remember in that moment when I cried out to God, it was almost like a hand was on my shoulder, and he just said, just, just stay here for a moment. It'll be okay. And then as I sat in that moment a little bit, it was one thing to do, then another thing to do, then another thing to do. And most of it was around, okay, just get her settled, get her to bed, get her back to sleep, make sure everybody else is okay, you go back to sleep, we'll pick this up in the morning. I mean, it was very much just a, this is the current moment, here's how we're going to go from here. Now, I could have been angry out of that moment, right? I could have been like, God, why don't you fix this? That could be my reaction. I could have been frustrated with God. Don't you know what we need? You're supposed to know it before we even ask. Don't you know? Why wouldn't you just fix it? Can I suggest to you this morning... God had more in mind for me, for my daughter, and for all of us than just to fix the things that are a mess. He does want to have the experience of those moments with us. But oftentimes the picture is so much bigger than what we realize in the moment. To kind of walk you through that this morning, I want to share with you an encounter, a passage that is always, I've always struggled with this passage, and I think that the dots have finally connected for me in certain ways. Matthew chapter 15, we're going to pick it up at verse 21. If you have your Bibles with you here this morning, go ahead and get there. Matthew 15, 21. If not, it'll be up here on the screen. This encounter that Jesus has is with a mother who is at her wit's end. Her daughter is being harassed being harmed and tortured. Her daughter is possessed by an evil spirit, an evil force that is destroying her. And I know today we don't talk much about like demons and evil spirits and stuff like that. And, and you know, in our culture, it's just kind of, eh. I'm not going to go diving down that rabbit hole this morning, but just to know it's real. It's just as real today as it was in Jesus' day. It just ha- so happens that this is what she's dealing with. This mother comes from another culture. She's not even from Jesus' culture. Desperate. Desperate to find somebody 
to find help for her daughter. She risks, she crosses every boundary line socially, culturally, just to find that help. And she risks rejection and embarrassment, maybe on some levels that some of us would be even terrified to think of. But when somebody that you love is in need, you do it, right? Because you know Take a look at this passage, Matthew 15, verse 21. Look at this encounter. Now, Jesus had got, just gotten done, um, this is, uh, Jesus just finished walking on water early, I mean, just before this, and, and then he goes and, and he, he has this argument with the Pharisees, they're trying to debate with him why his disciples eat without washing their hands. And so then it says, he left that place and he withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, uh, which is you know, a little bit closer to the Gentile area. So this is, they're on the edge of Jewish territory and, and they're hanging out where some of the other culturals, uh, cultures may have been. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession." Jesus didn't answer a word. Let that settle for a moment. Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him. Jesus, let's go help her. No. Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Put yourself in that situation for just a second. You've got a family member desperately in need. You go to the one person you think can help, and you, you're begging, Lord, Son of David, please help me. And he stands there silent. And worse than that, his followers surrounding him go, could you really just, like, really? Do we have to deal with this lady today? Could you just send her home? She's really a pest. She's, Jesus, she's kind of needy. Maybe some of you this morning, that's been your encounter with those who call themselves followers of Jesus. That when you came in the midst of your need, you felt like more of a burden or a bother. Rather than people who wanted to get to know you and understand what was going on. I mean, this is just the perfect Christian story, isn't it? She walks up to Jesus and everybody's lovey-dovey. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. But let me encourage you with the first touch point of the message this morning, and that is that Jesus makes the most of teachable moments. Jesus makes the most of teachable moments. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That's really helpful, isn't it? And the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Dogs. 
ow. I mean, you feel why this is difficult? I don't think I have to explain why this is. It, what, what, what's going on? Why is he calling her? Is he calling her a dog? Who is this Jesus that he's treating her this way? And her response is, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Notice that Jesus' answer to her is not an answer to her. I've come only for the lost sheep of Israel. But notice also that his answer to her is not an answer to the disciples. Notice that? He doesn't send her away. He doesn't validate what they wanted, which was to get rid of her. But he also doesn't validate yet what's going on with her. He just adds one piece to the discussion. See, I believe Jesus lived here as a human being. So he was born of a virgin. He lived here as a human being. I believe that when he was born here, he chose to surrender his ability, if if he could do it. I mean, if he could artificially separate God and man, because he's he's God with skin on. But if he could artificially separate the two natures, I believe Jesus somehow, in, in his arrangement, his relationship with the Father, surrendered his divine power back to the Father, to live as a human being completely dependent upon the Father, just like we have to. Otherwise, what point is there in Jesus saying to us, live as I lived, be holy as I am holy? Why would Jesus set a standard that we cannot live? So he lives it out in example as a human being completely dependent upon the Father. He may not have. Notice the passage doesn't say here that he knew what was in her heart. There are other places in the Bible where he, it says that. When he encounters somebody, he knows what's in their heart. In this one, it doesn't say it. What if in this moment, Jesus, in his human nature, is having to rely on the very same tools that you and I have when we encounter somebody in need? That he didn't know necessarily all of her story. He just knew some of the context. And he's doing his best to navigate what he sees his disciples frustrated with and what he sees this woman desperately in need for. And he's completely dependent upon the Father to give him the power and the insight and the ability to know what to do here. Just think about that for a moment. Because if we're talking about loving as Jesus loved, we have to recognize it's possible. And it's possible because he did it with the same equipment we have. So what does he do? He just adds to the discussion. I've come only to... And, and, and how does he do it? He says, this is my mission. You've asked me to help you. Here's my mission. This is what I came to do. What would you have me do? And it almost seems callous, doesn't it? When he says... It isn't right to take what's the food for the children, give it to the dog. Anybody else feel that that's callous? I mean, just kind of shocking. I mean, it's okay. You can be honest. In, in, it's all right. You know, it's like, I never thought Jesus could be so cold. I mean, that's, that, when every time I've read that passage, I've thought, man, Jesus, how could you say something like that? And the other day, I was reading Judges chapter 1. And I gained a little bit of insight, which I'm going to share with you here in a moment. 
Jesus' point was to engage in a discussion that would reveal her heart and also teach something to the disciples. He never wastes a teachable moment, and it wasn't just for teaching her. So before we go into the next piece of this and I explain what was going on in that comment he made there, I just want to encourage you, if you're in a moment of your life where God seems silent and God seems like he's not responsive to you, if you seem like you're not getting answers for everything that's challenging you, Pause for a moment and recognize that God doesn't waste a teachable moment. He's going to go to the depths of who you are. He's going to go to the depths of that situation. He's going to go there with you. And the first thing that happens may just be to put you back to bed and get a little rest. And when you get up in the morning, you'll take the next step. He may not be interested in just fixing the situation. He may be interested in going through it with you. See, Jesus is interested in the future of your life, not just the present. And he's also interested in the future of the lives of those who are watching you. That's the amazing thing about an all-knowing God. He sees the big picture way better than we do. And one other thing I want to point out, when she says, Lord, help me, that word is kyrie. I don't know if some of you 80s children might remember the song, Kyrie Eleison. Kyrie Eleison down the... Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll spare you that. Um, but, but what? <laughs> so Kyrie means Lord, or it could be translated as Sir, or just a matter of respect. But I think there's something in the context of this next little dialogue that Jesus has with her about these dogs and food and children that shows that she was calling him Lord King, Lord God. And that's our second touch point for this morning, is just to remember this. Your God-given identity Your God-given identity already knows Jesus is Lord. Your God-given identity already knows Jesus is Lord, but your experience may distract you from believing it. That's one to kind of write down on your refrigerator, and and I'm not going to unpack that one today too much, but just that's one to put on your refrigerator and just kind of walk by it every now and then. It's like Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. I mean, it's just kind of there... You know, it's the, but it's, it's one of those that your God-given identity has a very clear knowledge of who God is, even if your experience may distract you from believing it. And in this situation, she says, Lord, help me. I think there's an aspect of her identity that knows very clearly that Jesus is God and he is the only one who can help her daughter. He's the only one who has authority over demonic spirits. He's the only one who has the ability to step into her situation and change it from what she's been unable to move into something that has some redemptive quality, some, some grace, some change, some help. And how do we know that? Well, who is she? She's a Canaanite. Who are the Canaanites? So the Canaanites were the people who were in the land of Israel when God said to Joshua, go into the promised land. And there were nations that they had to to push out because they were pagan nations and they were nations that were doing all kinds of things that were not okay. And so they go in and they begin to take over the land and they fought, the Canaanites fought against them and they, they 
Canaanites. And then there's a season where they have to fight again against the Canaanites. Joshua is dead. And Judah is raised up as a leader. And they go and they fight and they win against the Canaanites. But their leader runs. Their leader was called Adonai Bezek. And this is that piece I was reading in Judges 1. I'm reading this and I'm going, what? It was another one of those passages that just really caught me off guard, but then all of a sudden there was a, there was a point where it all smacked together. So hang with me because we're going to get there. And you're, some of you are like, okay, this is really, just hang in there. We're getting there. So Adonai Bezek, he runs away, right? Israel catches up to him. The armies of Israel, they catch up to him. And when they do, they capture him as a prisoner of war. And the scripture says they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And when I first read that, I went, what, what? Never before have I read anything like that in scripture and never since. And I'm like, there's gotta be something to, like cut off his thumbs and his big, t- I thought, well, this, is that, are they just being cruel because he ran away? Like it's, is it, is it kind of like Misery, the movie Misery where she humbles the guy? I mean, just, what is it? Yeah, you all know that moment, don't you? Yes, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. It's, is it like that? Or is, is, is God just taking Adonai Bezanek and saying, hey, buddy, stop running I got you where I want you. You know, I just because I don't know about you, but I like my thumbs. I mean, this is the one distinctive between me and my dog, you know, that I can pick things up. And my big toes are nice, too, because I can actually run and have balance. And I'm reading that, and I'm going, why on earth would they cut off his thumbs and his toes? Are these God's people or not? And then... It jumped out of the passage at me. Adonai Bezek, and I'm not going to read it to you now, but go and read Judges 1. You'll see it's there. Adonai Bezek himself tells us why they did it. Before they take him as a prisoner off to Jerusalem, after they've cut off his thumbs and his big toes, he says, this is a direct quote from Adonai Bezek, 70 kings with their thumbs cut off and their big toes cut off, ate the scraps from under my table. And now God has paid me back for what I did to them. You see where this is going? The Canaanites were a people who had some wicked things going on, and Adonai Bezek was a wicked king. He would take power and control over other nations that he could conquer, and he cut off the thumbs and the toes of those kings to humble them, to put them in a place where they had to serve him, and they would eat the scraps from his table so that their king and the whole nation were completely dependent upon him for everything that they got. He treated them like, say it, dogs. Now bring that back to this moment when Jesus and this woman are talking and he says to her, is it right to take the food from the children and give it to the dogs? And look at her response. Look at her response. She says, you're right, that may be true, but even the dogs eat the scraps from their master's table. Do you see what Jesus is doing in this moment with this woman? Do you see what it means to his disciples? 
They wanted to get rid of her. They wanted to dismiss her. They wanted to connect her to the wickedness of, their, of her country previously. They wanted to just put her out of hand and out of mind and say, that's fine, you were wicked people before. I don't care if your daughter's demon-possessed or not. What business of that is ours? And Jesus goes to the one common touch point that their two cultures have. And he gives her an opportunity to display her faith. Do you understand this woman did not come to Jesus and his disciples looking, looking for you know, the entitlement because her country had been sacked by the Jews. She didn't come to say, oh, you great and mighty Jews, you know, I'm living in squalor and I've got my daughter has a demon. You owe me. My life's been a mess. Our country's been a mess ever since you came on the scene. You owe me. She doesn't come with that attitude at all. See, she didn't come looking for a handout. She didn't come looking for a hand up. She came for one thing, and that was the hand of God in her life. Because she knew that's the only thing that would fix it. There was no entitlement here. There's no blame and what's amazing to me is that Jesus had the wisdom and the knowledge and the patience. I can tell you I failed at that piece as, early, as recently as this morning. <laughs> he had the patience to go to a common touch point, not only for her, but for his disciples. And in doing so, he draws out of her the true nature of her faith, that looking beyond her country, looking beyond her culture, looking beyond her experience, she knows from what she's heard about Jesus that He is Lord, He is God, and He is the only one that she needed to seek out. She didn't listen to the voices of her people saying, what are you leaving Canaan for? What are you going over there to those Jews? Don't you remember what they did to us? Why are you going and talking to them? What do you think they're going to do for you? She didn't listen to any of that. She said, my daughter needs help, and I'm going to the Lord. I don't care what the color of his skin is. I don't care what culture he's currently working in. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to seek him with all that I have, and I'm going to lay myself before him. That is the nature of this woman's faith. And the disciples had to stare that in the face on the heels of saying, would you get rid of this needy woman? Jesus never wastes a teachable moment. And your God-given identity knows who Jesus is, even if your experience may cause you to be distracted from believing it. Look at Jesus' response in verse 28. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Do you think Jesus needed to go there with her in order to, request, to grant her request? He didn't need to go there. He didn't need to go there.
But something about that dialogue, even from the very beginning, Jesus had a hint that something more was going on than just this woman coming with a request and just his disciples maybe having a rough day and not wanting any more needy people around them. Jesus had an idea there was going to be a pivotal moment both for her and for his disciples. And I just love how he sets up the classroom. He just sets it up. And he does it by having a conversation. He doesn't demean her. He doesn't shut it down. He's not busy doing other things, not busy healing other people. He knows who he is. And he uses the conversation to draw out who she is. And out of that, a miracle happens for her. A lesson happens for the disciples and for us. Which brings me to that third touch point. Your well-being and the well-being of others is directly related to your faith in Jesus as Lord, not just as Savior. Your well-being and the well-being of others is directly related to your faith in Jesus as Lord, not just Savior. How do I put that together for us? This woman could have easily gone to Jesus just as a vending machine, right? Hey, I heard you're a miracle. She could have gone to Jesus. She could have gone. Do you know there were other rabbis in history within Israel who had the power of God working in them such that people were healed and, and miracles happened? I mean, Jesus wasn't the only one to ever do miracles. We see miracles in the Old Testament before Jesus. We see miracles after Jesus has died and resurrected. We know that God does miracles, right? She could have gone to any one of them. And just been like, hey, just, hey, what do I need to do for my miracle? Give me my miracle. How many times do we hear that? You would just watch any TV, but give me my miracle. My miracle's coming today. No, it's not. Yeah, really? Sorry, I, I get on a tangent there. Don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to have faith. It's not wrong to know that God can do it. But we need to understand the dynamics of that relationship. Because he doesn't do it just because we come to him as Savior. He does it because we come to him as Lord. He's always Lord first. And if you look at her language through this entire discussion, it's Lord, Master, Master, Lord. So let me ask you this morning. When you go to God... Who is he to you? This is that part where I told you, you know, that the heart of the message coming is probably not as true as the one delivering. I'll just be honest. He's not always Lord. Sometimes he's just Savior. Sometimes he's just wise counselor. Sometimes he's Mr. Fix-It. Sometimes he's the lifeboat, the life raft. He's not always Lord. Because if he were Lord, there are many things that I do on a daily and a weekly basis that I would not so easily do or say. Maybe some of you heard the expression, maybe your parents said to it, said this to you as you were growing up, but remember who you are and who you 
Oh, okay, so or where you come from, but or who you represent. Remember who you are and who you represent. If he were truly Lord. So this is one for all of us. Who is God when we come before him? Do we seek him as Savior? Do we seek him to just rescue us? Is God's love just a transaction? Thank you for my fire insurance. I don't have to go to hell anymore. Please give fire insurance to somebody else. Help me get them into a policy. That fits them, you know, and it fits in their morality and their, their... I mean, you see where we go with it? I mean, if God is just Savior and He's just in the business of rescuing, then we're the, you know, we're just salespeople. Is God's love something is it that we just, you know, for us who maybe call ourselves followers of Jesus, you know, is this a transaction where we just kind of make sure we show up every week, we make sure we put something in the popcorn buckets every week, and we make sure that there's, there's you know, there's prayer that goes on somewhere, even if it's just before a meal, you know, just, and we, and we hope that if we just do all of those things right, that God will make everything okay in our life. If we're honest, we probably live there more than any other place, right? We probably live in that place hoping that God will just protect us more than anything else. But if we let God go to the heart of our need, if we let Him engage us with that same conversation that He had with this Canaanite woman, if we let Him go to the depths of who we are and where we come from, He will call out of us an identity that is so far beyond our security and our comfort and our everything is okayism that we have in our culture nowadays. He will, he will call us to things that break us. He will call us to things that heal us. He will call us to things that renew us and transform us. He will not let us stay where we are because He has a bigger plan and a broader purpose and a brighter future for who He has designed us to be. He wants our full identity that He created us with to express the fullness of who He is. Can't happen if He's just Savior. Can't happen if it's just Savior. Jesus helped this woman express her faith in a way to show how deeply rooted it was in her identity as an image bearer of God. Maybe even beyond what she understood, but when that moment came and he, he di- dives into her heart, it just comes out of her, this perspective that was always in her, not blaming others for where she is, but knowing she needs a God who is above all gods and can step into her circumstance in ways that no one else can. And those poor disciples... Those poor disciples. I mean, Jesus masterfully and gently, I mean, let's be honest, he could have been a lot more direct with them. And I'll be honest, I probably would have been a lot more like, really? You want her to go away? And it's funny because we see Jesus do that elsewhere. Like when he feeds the 5,000. Hey, people are hungry. Well, why don't you give them something to eat? Well, we just got some fish and some bread. Yeah, what do you? He doesn't do that here. He draws out the brokenness of their own perspective because he knows if they're going to go and share him, 
with a lost and broken world. If they're going to go into all the calls, see, see, they may not understand all the rest of what's going to happen because, see, we have the rest of the chapters afterwards. They didn't have this. He knows what's coming after the resurrection. He knows they're going to be sent into all the world. He knows that they're going to be working across cultures and, and barriers and society and social ills and everything else that they've never encountered. And they got to be ready. They weren't equipped. And so he masterfully brings them into this moment and shows them, look, if I'm Lord, then this is how you draw other people into the knowledge of who I am. Now, not everybody's going to go and ask, you know, hey, do you, you know, is it right to take food from a children's table? Because there's other people who are going to be like, huh, what? what are you talking about? There was a cultural connection and a key there that Jesus knew connected with them. And he gives us a hint If we're going to share God with people, He's first got to be Lord for us. But then we have to be willing to go on that journey with them. We need to be willing to sit down and have a conversation and help people discover who they really are. So how are we doing with having honest discussions with people, being okay to sit in a moment with people? Being okay to share in brokenness with people. Being okay to let them sort through all of the experiences that have cluttered up their identity. And one by one, peel them back till we get to that image that God formed in them. Because if we're willing to do that work, God will work in and through us in it. And when we get there, God will set that person free just like He did us. So Jesus never wastes a teachable moment, neither should we. Our God-given identity recognizes Jesus, even if our experiences cause us to be distracted from believing it. We need to remember that. And our well-being and the well-being of others is directly related to how we approach Jesus as Lord, not just as Savior. Maybe you're not quite at this point yet this morning where you're wrestling with how to live out a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're exploring whether you need Him, or maybe you know you need something other than what you have. Let me just encourage you, don't allow yourself to be stuck in a vending machine relationship with God. Pressing E5 over and over again for that blessing, you know, or DD20, whatever that one is, you know. That candy bar faith, it's not going to resolve what's missing here. It's going to take a relationship. So I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you and you know you need to take a next step, on your, on your program there is that connect card. Would you, would you just take a moment and think about that and say, you know, I... I think I do need to take a first step beyond a vending machine relationship with God and actually have Him be the Lord of my life. And I don't know how to do that. Well, it's okay. Because the, the, the teams here want to pray for you in that. They want to walk with you in that. And if, and if that's you this morning, don't just write it down and put it in a popcorn bucket later. Talk to you know, myself or Bill or, or even the person, if you came with somebody today, talk to them about it and say, look, man, I just I know I need to take a first step in this and I don't know... I don't know what to do. 
and allow that person the opportunity to sit with you in that moment, to know what you're going through, and to help you come to know God. If that's not you this morning, and maybe you're at a point where it's a next step, you know, where, where you know you've been following Jesus, but He's just not quite, you know, or you're wrestling, with, or, or maybe He is, Lord, and you've got that peace settled, but you're not quite sure how to do that with other people, just write that down. I, I really, I'm uncomfortable listening to people's stories. I'm uncomfortable listening to people's needs. The need is overwhelming. You know, whatever it is, it's okay. Write that down. Put it in a bucket so you can be prayed for, but then talk to those that you came with or talk to the teams here and say, how do I, how do I, get, how do I do this? What wisdom, what counsel? And I guarantee you, nobody's going to have a silver bullet. Nobody's going to have a perfect answer, so just don't expect that. But know that coming together and sharing together, Jesus won't waste that teachable moment either. Because God's desire is that we be able to love the way that He loves. And the way that He loves is to get right to the heart of it. Right to the heart of it. And not just fix our circumstance, but set up our future and the future of those around us. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your grace to strengthen and encourage us in the moments that we are overwhelmed. We thank you. We thank you that you don't always just fix the situation and let us go on our merry way. Thank you, God, that you step into the hurt. You step into the need with us. God, I'm grateful that whatever experience we have, you desire to experience it with us. Thank you, Lord. Where we have not allowed ourselves to let you be Lord and Master, God, would you help us to lay, apart, lay aside that part of our life that just continues to assert itself as in control. And let you take the lead. God, I pray that for all of us here, whether it's our first step or our next step, that you would be Lord, you would lead us into the things that you desire us to learn and to grow in, and you would grow us as people who love you and serve you represent you in the world around us. And as we're going, help others learn and experience you. Thank you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.